1: Hey everyone, in today's flashback episode, I am joined by world-renowned psychotherapist, New York Times best-selling author, podcast host, Fortune 500 consultant, and relationship expert, Esther Perel. As always, thank you for listening to Unqualified. We'll be back with new episodes soon. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to Unqualified with your
2: host, Anna Ferris.
1: Esther, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Would you mind, before I sort of launch into my compliment monologue, (laughs) for our listeners who aren't quite as familiar with your work and what you do, would you mind telling
2: our audience? First of all, it's a treat to be here with you. So I'm Esther Perel. I am a psychotherapist, an author, and a podcast host. I am the author of the book Mating in Captivity and the State of Affairs, and I host the podcast Where Should We Begin and How Is Work, which both feature live sessions with anonymous couples, raw, unedited, as if you are a fly on the wall in my office. And my passion is relationships between people primarily, with my deep belief that it is the quality of our relationships that determines the quality of our lives. I have been binging
1: your podcast, and I love how you frame situations and people's issues in such an incredibly thoughtful and insightful way. Thank you. You mentioned somewhere along the way that the study of languages has helped you essentially with the study of humanity.
2: Yes, 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 yes. So I happen to speak nine languages and I think that it is the learning of the languages and the experiences in those languages who I become, how I see the world, how my patients who speak those languages talk and how I hear them differently because of the language in which they articulate their predicaments it became really my lens into the world my lens into people because i translate and when you translate you have to listen with a particular attention because you can't assume that you know so you always ask does this mean that what does this mean how do you say this when a person uses a word you say what does that word mean for you <laughs> and it really makes you become discerning and attentive in a particular way and then You know, many of the languages I speak, when I learn them, I begin to get a grid. So what are the key words and the key verbs that you need to know? To go, to have, to be, to want, you know. And once you have those verbs, it's the same in relationships. Like what are some of the key relational verbs, right? What is the experience around asking, around giving, around receiving, around sharing, around playing or imagining? around refusing, and around wanting. And if you ask people to examine themselves vis-a-vis those verbs in their relationships, you get quite a beautiful profile of their relational life. Esther,
1: will you tell our listeners about your parents' extraordinary
2: lives. Yes, yes. You know, it's so interesting because for so many decades living in the United States, I just said I am from Belgium. I'm from the Flemish part of Belgium, despite my French accent in English. And I never really went further. And then there was a moment where, especially when I wrote Mating in Captivity, where I actually began to see the connection between my work around aliveness and eroticism in relationships and my legacy or the legacy of my parents on me. And that's when I began to just say, no, no, my story is a little longer than that. I am the child of two Polish Holocaust survivors who both spent about five years in concentration camps during World War II. And they both came out completely alone after losing their nine and seven siblings respectively and parents, et cetera. And they found themselves completely by fluke in Belgium, by chance. They were supposed to stay there for three months. And then they ended up staying five years as illegal refugees. So living in hiding while they were already in Belgium and then slowly got legalized. I came later. My brother is born in 46. So he's really the child of that experience. Whereas when I arrived, they were already kind of Belgian citizens. But, you know, our first passports were stateless. It was a UN passport for stateless people. And I think that you can't know me and my thinking and my feeling without understanding the importance of that legacy in me in a multitude of ways, I would say.
1: I was listening to, I believe, a TED Talk that you were giving, which is fascinating, about the idea of infidelity. Mm-hmm. And we deal with some of that here on our podcast I always try to give the advice of not asking too many questions, but you framed this idea so eloquently that that kind of nagging curiosity can cause you maybe
2: even more grief. Would you mind speaking to that a little bit? When people experience infidelity, when people feel that they have been betrayed, lied to, when there's a violation of trust there's often a natural tendency to want to understand what happened. But the what happened is often a tallying up of the sordid details. What did you do? Where did you go? Yes. Was it horizontal? Was it vertical? Yes. You know, was it better than us? How many orgasms? And it is a kind of fact-finding mission that actually will often prevent us from sleeping intensify the ruminations, make us feel even more rejected. Ruin your favorite hotel. (laughs) Everything. Ruin your sense of self. Crush your identity and all of that. And the question is, what is it that you need to know in order to make sense of this? What is it that you need to know in order to be able to process this, to make sense of this, and then to make decisions about your relationships and your life going forward? What are the pieces of information that are actually helpful? What is the difference between detective questions that mind those dark details and investigative questions that help you understand the meaning, not just the fact, of what happened so that you can then know what you want to do with this? And helping people stay away from the stuff that's going to keep them up and just like, you know, our imagination is often way more wild than actually the people who did it themselves. We don't stop anymore and we flagellate ourselves with it. And it isn't helpful. An affair, sex stories love stories, there's not a multitude of ways that they talk. They have apropos language. There's only umpteen ways to talk about sex and an umpteen ways to talk (laughs) about love, you know. So don't go digging there. Go and find the stuff that is important for you in order to know what your life will be.
1: What do you think a good example of an investigatory question would be?
2: Why did this happen? Why now? What did you find there? Why were you able to talk there and you can't talk with me? What was it like when you would come home? Did you want me to find out? Did you hope that I would forgive you? Did you hope that I wouldn't forgive you? That I shouldn't forgive you? Did you think about our kids, our lives, our friends, our family, what you've built up? Did you wonder if you were being self-destructive and were willing to toss everything that you have fought so hard for over in one split second? Did you think about me when you were not protecting yourself? Did you tell that person that you have three children? All of that, you know? Did you hope that we will continue? Did you hope that this would just die a natural death and I would never find out? Did you realize while you were there that you actually want to come home? Or did you think while you were there, I never want to come home? And then perhaps a decision can be made. And what do you want us to do with this? Do you know if you want to stay here? And do you want to stay here because the other person doesn't want you? Do you want to stay here because you realize that this is what you truly value? Do you want to stay here because you want me to be your partner? Or do you want to stay here because you like our life, our family, our economic situation, our children, or because we need to be together because we have somebody who needs extra attention in our house? Where are you at? Do you have any idea where you're at? Those are much better questions. <laughs> and those questions don't take weeks. They take some months and sometimes some years.
1: And it also is the avoidance
2: of comparison. Yeah. Why can you desire there and you can't desire me? Why did you become a robot in our house and you seem to be perfectly alive and attentive when you go elsewhere? Like I have organized these questions on things that belong to you, the person who went outside the relationship, things that have to do with me, the person on the receiving end, things that have to do with the relationship. There's literally categories of questions, about 150 of them. <laughs> you can delve into that. But they all are really meant to preserve you from the way that we typically go at it that is really crushing us. Like, was her body hotter than mine? Yes. Yes. You know, did you like it more? Was she better? Was he better? Yes. There's an incredible scene in the Mike Nichols movie with Clive Owen and uh, Julia Roberts. Where Do you remember that scene? Oh, what is that movie called? Closer. Yes. Closer. You know, and he's walking after her. And did he do this? And did you do that? And did you do it like this? She said, we did everything normal people do. And how was it? It was the same, just kinder. God. You know, never forget it because he's the epitome of the guy who's going after her and trying to find out, you know, and basically the issue was not what they did. The issue is that there was a quality of connection that she could not have with him. Astaire, I'm so glad you're here. I love the title of your podcast. It's so, <laughs> it's so beautiful.
1: <laughs> well, it's very true. It is. It is true.
2: Yeah, but it's self-deprecating with intelligence. Well, thank you. Thank you. So our first
1: call is with Victoria.
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready
3: to pop the question?
1: Hi, Victoria. Hi. Hello, hello. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? Oh, we're great. Will you tell our listeners what's going on? Yes, I am very nervous. I'm sorry if I mix up my words. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) I always get so nervous. and I've done like 400 of these. I'm like uh, sweating.
2: I have a quick suggestion, Victoria. Yes. All three of us. Let's just take one deep breath. Okay. And ground ourselves. Okay. (sighs) 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 Okay. Okay. That helps a little
0: bit.
3: (laughs) So I'm calling today. I need some advice on dealing with stress. I've got a lot of outside events happening. Like we had a wedding that was planned that I had to cancel and then reschedule. And we just found out my dad has stage four cancer and There's some other things going on and uh, I don't handle stress very well. And
2: it feels like everything's happening all at once. What do you mean when you say I don't handle it well? What is well and what is not well for you? Well, I guess when I look at
3: other people, they stay so strong during it and they don't let it affect their emotions or how they handle themselves out in the world. And I sometimes feel like I am just a crying mess (laughs) all the time. I just feel like I'm not handling things well, and it's causing breakdowns in my communication with my husband and my daughter and my family members. and I'm just sometimes I'll get really angry for no reason or I'll just start crying. I am also pregnant, though, so it
2: complicates
3: things as well.
2: No, it doesn't complicate, but it gives a whole other layer of context to how you are experiencing circumstances around you.
3: Yes, yeah, so my emotions are already, yes, heightened and. Mm-hmm. These events just feel, I'd like advice on how to not let the stress consume me to where I'm causing fights or breaking down in communication to where
2: I'm just not talking to people. So it's interesting, right? When you were going to talk to me, you were shaking. Yeah. Your voice was trembling. And I just said, take a moment, don't plow through and let's just take a breath together. And if we had time, we would take a few more. And actually, while I'm talking, I want you to do exactly that. Okay. I'm just going to answer you and you're going to just breathe in by four or five counts and then breathe out by four or five counts so that you can regulate yourself. While I'm just going to quickly suggest a few things. You know, you can tell your partner and your daughter. How old is your daughter? It's her birthday today. She turns 11. Oh, Wonderful. So she completely can follow and understand. And just to say, I am going through a difficult time. I feel like a lot of things are happening to me all at the same time. Some of them are celebratory and some of them are anticipatory loss. And I feel at the same time the gift and the experience of being bereft hitting me all at once. And I am on edge and I also know that I am pregnant and that my hormones are completely altered and that everything is going to be heightened. And I'm well aware that I'm snapping or that sometimes I'm reacting to things and it's intense and it looks like it comes from nowhere. And I really appreciate that I can feel safe enough to be this way with you. But I also need you to call me out on it when you feel like I'm unfairly jumping or reacting And what really helps me is if you can come and hold my hand at that moment. And you can say this to your partner, and you can say this for sure to your daughter. If you come and hold me at that moment or hold my hand, it just helps me release it. And because it's going to be like that for a while. Yeah. So it's a two-part thing. A, I acknowledge that this is what's happening B, this is what helps me in those moments. C, this is what I'm going to try to take responsibility for myself.
3: Yeah. I think sometimes I just feel like my emotions are a burden sometimes for other people because I know that my family is also going through a hard time.
2: But you burden them more when you are just basically reactive without a context and without boundaries. So when you say, I know that I just reacted very strongly, I know I just got angry about this or got upset about that or got rigid here or got unreasonable there, that says, I know what I'm doing. It's not just I'm dumping on you yeah. and you're not responsible for it. But here is what helps me. People like to be helpful. People like to know what to do. People don't like to feel dumped on. Mm. And it feels overwhelming because you are overwhelmed. Yeah. And so it just says, you know, I'm overwhelmed at this moment and I'm aware of it. And if I know what's happening to me that I'm also doing to you, then people don't feel that you're dumping on them. Okay, Esther, will you speak a little bit about the idea of anticipatory grief? Yes. Your dad has been diagnosed with stage four cancer. He may or may not die, but there is a notion suddenly of the fragility of life, yeah. that mortality is in the air. And at the same time, as you're bringing a child into the world, your dad is also saying, you know, he's ill, he's frail. And you suddenly do not have this fiction that we live with, that we have a sense of predictable future. Next year, we'll do this or we'll go there. You can't say it without adding to the sentence, if he's around, if all goes well, if this, if that, if the treatments, you know. So that's the anticipatory grief. The grief is there, but it's also that notion that you no longer can just dream away and imagine the best all the time. You are aware that this may or may not happen. I'm very much a dreamer, too. <laughs> I think what you really want to do, if I was to think about certain things that, that I would draw on from my parents, is don't avoid your dad. Talk with him. Tell him exactly what you just said. You know, I would love for you to be around when the baby comes. Here is what I think we have never talked about as much as I wish we had. Here is what I think I would like to say that I haven't said enough to you. What is it like for you at this moment as you've just learned about this illness? How does it strike you? Brave it, the difficult conversation. Don't avoid it. And he may or may not answer, you know, wanting to probe him introspectively. He may just want to talk about his grandchildren or about you. I hope that you people will remember. What is it that you want me to remember the most about you? What do you want your grandchildren to say about you? go with it. You will connect with your dad. I don't know much about the, or not nothing actually about your relationship with him. But I think that what happens is that people get afraid. They just want to talk about the doctor said and the treatment and the radio and the chemo rather than to talk about how one person wants to die has everything to say with how one person wants to live. Yeah. So Anchor that. Go to him and say, you know, dad, we don't ever talk about these things. That's not the way we are in the family. But you know what? This thing is giving us an opportunity that we've never taken.
3: I really like that. I think there are some conversations to be had and I've definitely been too scared to have some of them. As you can see, I'm a very kind of
2: anxious, nervous kind of person. But until you ground yourself... You're anxious because you're fluttering around. Yeah. But once you've put your feet down and you say, I'm going to do this, you do enter into the zone and then you own it. So the anxiety is before. Yeah. You know, like right now, your breath has changed. You're no longer shaking, correct? Yeah. There's a little bit there, but it's not nearly that thing that you had when... Yes, you... I'm so sorry. No, it's not about being sorry. It's, you know, you're moved, you're excited. We get to talk. It's normal. It's not a, a thing to avoid. But from that place, now that we're sinking in, when you sit with him and you say, you know, I've been really thinking about this and I have to say, I'm, it makes me nervous. We've never done this and I'm not used to this. But I decided that I do not want later on to say, I wish I had had and I didn't. Yeah. So now that, let's talk. Esther,
1: does being aware that you are given to those moments of anxiety or nervousness, does understanding make it easier or just
2: lead to rumination? I think of it as stage fright. You know, I have tremendous stage fright. Nobody would necessarily know that. But before I go on, it's like, I am breathing exactly the way Victoria was breathing. I run to the bathroom. I suddenly think like I can't remember anything. You know, I'm seeing blank. And then when I arrive, I develop this thing where I start to cough. It's like a tick, like a reflux. I cough, but I now know that it's literally before I go up. And then there's a moment, a few minutes into it, where I just drop in. And then it's all gone. All the ticks, all the symptoms, everything suddenly is over. Before you go to talk with your dad or your partner or your daughter, you have that. And once the conversation starts, for many of us who have stage, right, it's the beginning. And it's the acknowledgement of this is really challenging for me. Whoa, I'm really nervous here, you know. And then once you've said it then you drop in. I don't know if you have stage fright. Do you? <laughs> yeah,
3: I do. I've always had really bad anxiety.
1: I think in your letter, you also wrote that you're in the middle of remodeling and that yep. is, that's like minutiae stress <laughs> where you're like washing your dishes in the bathroom for a year.
2: Pretty much. I mean, listen, you're dealing with the most stressful events of life, right? You're dealing with illness. You're dealing with moving. You're dealing with pregnancy. So instead of saying I am stressed, you can say, I am currently facing, at the same time, a number of major stressors in anybody's life. And I don't know which neighbor's house you've gone to look at to think that other people, you know, manage this smoothly and wrinkle-free. It's not. It's never. I think I'm just really hard on myself. Ah, that's a different story. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know, I'm dealing with these very challenging things, it becomes I should be dealing with these things as if they're not challenging at all and just sail smoothly. And Because I'm not, I think I'm stressed. No, you have good reasons to be on a heightened mode at this moment. And so it's about how do you bring yourself down so that you can handle the things that you need to do. But by definition, these are challenging experiences, all of them. Especially after... A year and a half of kind of this reflective,
1: anxious, grief-stricken period that we've all had. I've really noticed our listeners putting a lot of pressure on themselves to get things figured out lately. I think during like last summer, we would talk to listeners who felt incredibly reflective about their lives. And now people I've really noticed are putting a lot of pressure to make big decisions to get things all figured out. And I'm very much like that,
3: very much always in the future or the past. And I know I need
2: to be in the here and now and appreciate. No, 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 no. Being in the here and now is for you, is maybe appreciate things, but it's primarily giving yourself the permission to actually feel what you are feeling and understand that there is a reason for why you are upset, anxious, worried, uh, frazzled, all of that. It's more that if you don't fight against it, it just will pass through you a little bit more. Yeah. And by the way, the other people in your house are probably feeling some of those things too. You can talk with your daughter and just say, how are we doing? How are we doing? You know, and at the end of every day, from one to 10, how we did today, you know, I had dips of two, but then I went back up to six and it becomes a kind of let's track ourselves together as we are living this shared reality. And then you can also show her how to deal with those tensions and those stressors.
3: Yeah. And I'm also worried I'm showing her how to handle things wrong. And it's just like that's more of the same critical voice. I know I'm so bad about that. She's so sweet, though. She comes home now, and I think she can tell that I'm on... I mean, I know she can tell I'm on edge, but Mm -hmm. for the past two weeks or about a week or two, she's come home, and every day she's like, I'm going to ask you every day, how was your day? And I was like, that's very sweet, Suri.
1: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) That's amazing. That kind of caring empathy. She learned that from you. Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) And Esther, what kind of conversation... Can Victoria have
2: with her husband? Well, I need a tiny bit about how is he in this in the midst of this whole thing? He is supportive. He lost both of his
3: parents, so he he understands recently? Yes. Oh. Yeah. So and it was it was traumatic and
2: so he understands what I'm going
3: through. Um he is very supportive.
2: I think that what I wish would happen for you is that when you sit with him, it's not just he's supportive to what's happening to me. It's to really be able to sit together and say, we've gone through a lot in a very short amount of time, all three of us. And it's not over. And I want us to just, it's almost like when people hold hands to say grace, I want to just hold hands together and acknowledge that. Because we keep forging ahead and plowing through and trying to stay strong. But in fact, you know, we have been really broken. We have grief. We are in mourning and we need to acknowledge that. We need to just bring that kindness and that grace inside our house at this moment. And then you can have a family conversation. What is most helpful for each of us when we find ourselves on edge? And you may find that each of you needs something different. And then when your little one comes and says, I'm going to ask you every day, how was your day? You tell her that is one of the kindest things you can do. That in itself makes me feel so good because it's caring, it's attentive, it's sensitive, it's attuned. And I'm going to ask you too. I like that. I do
3: like to ask her, but
2: every day. I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Then you do from zero to 10. (laughs) Zero to 10. That's good. What's one thing that stood out today? Or what's one thing that brought a smile to your face today? Or what's one thing you're grateful for today? Or what's one thing you learned today? There's lots of different ways to make it more precise than how was your day, actually. You know, and you can switch it up and down. But together, this evening, you can say, I sat on this podcast and I began by being really very anxious and very stressed, but also very angry and, and critical of myself for being anxious and stressed. And so I had no way to go. So I just like feel like I'm I'm swallowing my own juices all the time. And then I realized that this is real. We have gone through so much. And if we don't sit for a minute and actually acknowledge this and take it in, it's not going to be good. Yeah. And I just felt like I've been so busy with my stress that I haven't really paid enough attention to all of us. And we are going through this all together. This is not just me. That's very true.
3: I think I've been so consumed by the stress. I'm as sad as that sounds. I'm only thinking about myself, But they're definitely experiencing the stress as well, especially my daughter. She knows that her grandpa is sick, but she doesn't know to the extent
2: because I just don't know. if. And that means that she would lose three grandparents in one year. And that needs to be acknowledged and needs to be part of the permitted conversations. And you can say I've been a bit busy with myself and I haven't paid enough attention to how we are all affected by this.
1: Victoria, my heart goes out to you. I... Want to tell you how sorry I am. I also want to tell you how happy I am for you. And I can't thank you enough for writing to us. And I know that some of our listeners and, of course, myself will be thinking about you. And I hope that, at the very least, this kind of thoughtful, heartfelt communication will give you some reprieve and help you also be kind of right here, just steady you know? Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are in a vulnerable time of life and I feel for you and thank you for being strong and thank you for talking with us. Thank you so much, Victoria. Thank you. Y'all have a good day. Bye, Victoria.
0: Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
2: Which is the podcast episode that resonated with you?
1: So many. Um recently, the one with the two gentlemen who run the bakery. Um, And the infidelity episode, which we talked about, I'd say all of them resonate with different experiences I've had.
2: Mm -hmm. It's very reassuring in a way. You know, the question I asked you was kind of what touched you, right? Which episode somehow resonated with you? And I think what you're answering is you cite a few of the episodes. If I heard you well, I say things that you have known, but I give you permission to own them. You know, it's not like I say things you've never thought about. It's that you have thought about them. There is something in hearing the way I speak about them with the clients or the couples that gives you the permission to then own those ideas, especially when they are not the most common or popular ways to think about it. You know, I think that sometimes in my way of thinking, there's something counterintuitive And sometimes there is the, this is what it looks like, but this is what it's really about.
1: Yes. Yes. I grew up in a non-communicative family, a very loving family. But Mm -hmm. the idea of therapy was considered an indulgence, you Mm know.
2: As it is often. Yeah, it is for many people. And for others, it's an absolute necessity. It's both ends. But communicative doesn't just mean we didn't talk or we didn't talk about our feelings. You know, if I asked you, you know, do you know what your parents stand for, what their values are, what are the things that they find most important in life, you'd have an idea? I think so. I think family and children, and I wish they would
1: sometimes stop watching the news. But sometimes when I bring home for the holidays or whatever, these kinds of conversations, Mm -hmm. my mom gets guarded and confused, a little defensive. Then we end up talking about, like, the neighbor's kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. But
2: would they ever play a game with you? That's why I created Where Should We Begin? Yes. game of stories, because I thought, what's a way that people begin to tell stories and begin to have those conversations, and when they play they are more likely to do so because the game is a container, because the game gives you permission. It allows you to take risks. And when you play, it's as if. So you feel like you have the permission to tell stuff you would not otherwise talk about. And then you can go home and just pick 20 cards. You don't have to take the whole box. And then just say, can we try something else this year for Thanksgiving? Mm -hmm. Esther, where can we buy the game? www.estereperel.com slash the game. Awesome.
1: I'm going to order it.
2: But pick a few. Don't take the whole box in front of your mom. Because then she'll be be like, what is that? But if you just say, you know, I would love to try something. Are we all in the spirit of doing something a little different this year? Like, you know, since we eat the same food every time, maybe we can just have a different way of going about it. And you could put one card on everybody's plate. Or you could take the cards and each person just picks one. And then they have to answer the question. So be creative. You know your family the best. I love that idea, and I love what you were saying about
1: giving permission to own ideas, or hearing something in a different way, or just saying out loud for the first time.
2: I wanted to ask you, how you feel after talking with your clients. If they come and they tell me, I was able to talk to my dad in a way that I never could, like Victoria, or I had this amazing conversation afterwards with my daughter, or I told my partner XYZ. And if those things happen and we get that back from Victoria, then I will feel like, wow, that is nice. It's nice to know that you help people get to the place where they want to go. Oh, you're helping me too. As long as it's not like you think that I have all the answers and I'm the expert. We're all swimming in the same pool. I do. I do. But of course I don't. (laughs) You know. Well. That's why I said, come and see my house. (laughs) Let me worship you for a minute. Okay.
1: Shall we talk to Rose? Yeah. Okay. Hi, Rose. Hi, how's it going? Really good. This is Esther, and she's just awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much for your letter. Will you tell us what's going on?
4: Yeah, of course. Basically, I've been in a relationship with my boyfriend since college. It was my first like serious relationship, and we've been together for about seven years now. We basically lost our Virginies to each other, and I love him so much. He's basically my best friend. I tell him basically everything he knows all of my like small quirks and so yeah i tell him like everything and you know we have the normal arguments that all you know couples have and i think we resolve them pretty quickly
2: and the challenge that you have with him at this moment is what
4: basically it's been an ongoing thing it's basically our, our sex life i'm not fully satisfied with it i don't think I've had been this whole relationship, and the first couple of years we've kind of didn't think it was a huge issue because we figured we were getting used to each other, trying to find a rhythm, you know, still trying to figure it out.
2: Can I ask you something? Yeah, when you say never fully satisfied, what do you talk about? I still
4: don't really enjoy the actual act of intercourse mm-hmm. He satisfies me in other ways, like going down on me and stuff like that, and that stuff is great, but I think the actual act of intercourse I've never actually felt and any pleasure in it
2: does it hurt
4: not really but it's not exactly comfortable for me okay Mm -hmm. and yeah i think that's just causing issues i think it mostly has been coming to a head now or like i've been trying to actually do something about it just because it's all but like guaranteed that yeah, we're gonna get married i think
2: why are you doing something about it and not we
4: that's you know a good point, good language. I think I'm the person in the relationship who brings stuff up.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: So he also acknowledges it's a problem because we have sat down and talked about it. But I guess mostly a problem that I brought up because in my mind, I think for intercourse for guys, you know, they always end up finishing. You know, they always end up satisfied. But it's different for the woman. So I think that's why it's mostly been me bringing it up. And again, he knows it's an issue. And we sat down and talked about it.
2: But the issue is not just that it's unpleasant for you. The issue is also that he knows that you are not particularly enjoying it. Mm -hmm. That too must matter to him.
4: Yeah. And that's also why it's also become a topic that we've actually brought up recently because before this, we hadn't, we were kind of on a drought. We didn't, we haven't really done it in a couple months. And when we sat down and talked about it, he was saying, you know, part of the issue for him is that, one, he has body insecurity, but also he knows that it's not as good for me. So he kind of feels insecure initiating it. And then, you know, I don't initiate it because I don't feel like it.
2: Have you read anything together? Have you watched anything together? Have you tried different? No. So what should we watch or try? <laughs> <laughs> so just off the bat... You want to take the book of Emily Nagoski, Come As You Are, okay. number one. The focus is not on getting it done. The mm-hmm. focus is not on penetration. The focus is on pleasure mm-hmm. and connection and what makes you feel good, both of you. Mm-hmm. And that means a rethinking of what it means to make love and to have good sex. The series on Netflix right now of Sex, Love and Goop is excellent. And one of my very close colleagues, Jaya, works with a couple there that starts with some of the same challenges that you have. Oh, wow. So you can look at those first two episodes. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. And she does hands-on work and she really, you can go and do her erotic blueprints, which is directly on her website, which gives you a kind of a sense of what is the blueprint with which you approach sexuality? Is it energetic? Is it sensual? Is it sexual? Is it kinky? Is it more shape-shifting? go and do that one. It will give you also a whole different way to talk about it. Because at this point, when you talk about sex, you talk about the sex you don't have. And talking about the sex you don't have doesn't make you want to have more sex. <laughs> That's a <good> point. <laughs> <gasps> You're talking about the problem, then the problem is just a problem mm-hmm. and it doesn't give you ideas. So the next thing is you want to check if you are aroused enough, if you are lubricated enough, or if you need to use a lubricant and a sun cream that would actually make it more comfortable. But the goal is still not to just make the intercourse work Mm -hmm. because it can work and still not be pleasurable. What he wants is to know that he can please you. And maybe that needs to happen without doing any intercourse at this moment, at least as a start. Okay. So do you go and watch that? You read, come as you are. You read the erotic mind of Jack Morin which is probably one of the most important things, because if you're busy talking about genitals, and I would like you to understand that what is so essential to the pleasure is the mind. Yeah. That is the biggest sexual organ. Yeah, I think we're both in our heads a lot. I want you to first, together, rethink a little bit. What is sexual pleasure? What makes us feel good. How do we connect? What is our vocabulary? It's a language, sex. What's the language in which you speak? What kind of touch do you like? What kind of touch does he like? You know, how do they meet each other? Long before you just try to get it done. The majority of heterosexual and heteronormative sex is rather construed around the penis in a vagina. Mm-hmm. And the men find their sense of self-worth and their sense of competence and all of that in the ability to perform. And so performance becomes more important than pleasure. And one of the lines of Emily Nagoski is, pleasure is the measure, not the performance. People have performed for centuries and you know, and felt nothing, especially women have known that forever. Mm-hmm. But your partner finds pleasure in pleasing you. And that is not just about getting it done. Which is really romantic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And so you want to tell him, when you kiss me in the neck, when you lick my ear, when you put your hands in my hair, when you hold me on my hips, when you caress my back, when you climb along my spine, all of that, (laughs) that actually makes me shiver. You need to communicate to him. Also, what you like, what feels good. You know, you want to take his hands. You want to show him when you hold it like that. I like it. But when you press a little bit more, I like it even more so that you teach each other. It's like if he makes you tea, he wants to know how many spoons of sugar and you tell it easily because you don't feel that there is a hang up in saying I like it with two spoons. But the same thing happens here. I like that, but I like it even more when you do that. So it's really getting away from the problem talk as a start. That kind of makes sense to me because
4: I feel like we communicate in all other aspects in our lives. But I feel like something that's definitely lacking is communication about sex. And, you know, I watch porn. I think he does. But I don't think we ever discuss it or have ever talked about like what he likes, what I like. And I feel like that's still something that is not taboo, but we just haven't talked a lot about.
2: So if you go to my website, you're going to find 10 questions on the front page. It's called the Intimacy Inventory. They can get you started. Okay. It's a very different conversation, you know, and it's not when you look at the porn, what is it that you look at? Not I like to look at, what is it that you see? And do you pay more attention if he looks at straight porn? Do you pay more attention to the man or to the woman? And what is it that you imagine that the woman is feeling at the moment when the man is doing this and that? But that's one conversation. The other conversation is simply, we talk about a lot of things. I call you my best friend. But there is one conversation that is challenging for us. And that's okay, first of all. Every couple, they thing. Some people can't talk about money. Some people can't talk about food. Some people can't talk about sex. I think we could do better. We met very young. And so we kind of met when we were rather immature about all of this. And I think mm-hmm. we should begin to talk about sex together like 25-year-olds and not like 18-year-olds. <laughs> and I think we can do it. It's a bit weird, you know. So we can read "Come as You Are" together. We can watch Jaya work together. We can do our blueprint together. We can do an ex. We can watch tantric exercises and learn to do breathing and slowing down together, and really becoming more aware of our own sensations and sensory responses. And you know, we're going to be a little uncomfortable because if we've never done any of these things, but frankly, why wouldn't we want to have better sex together? And it is something that we can learn. It's not something that we just are supposed to know, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're not going to learn it necessarily from porn. Some of it may be a little bit here and there, some fantasy stuff. But as a whole, you know, what is it that we think about? What would we like to experience? What kind of story do you like to tell yourself? You can read Mating in Captivity for sure. And I would say you read it together or you listen to it together as you drive, you know, because what you want is stuff that makes you have new conversations. Got it.
4: Yeah, that's something he did bring up when I wrote in my letter that we had sat down and talked about it and tried to think of solutions. And that was one thing he suggested. It's just like we need to sit down and talk about what we both like and what we don't like and what is comfortable and what's not comfortable.
2: But you may not know enough. Mm -hmm. And so reading and listening and reacting together You can listen even to some of the Where Should We Begin podcast episodes that are about sex and then say, is that something that appeals to you? Mm -hmm. Would you want that? Have you ever experienced this? Do you ever fantasize about that? You know, do you imagine we could ever do something like that? So you get something to bounce back off.
4: Yeah, I might not know, like everything about what I like or do not like. I just have to do the reading or research first. Yeah, that's a really good point.
2: Like, do I like Japanese food? I don't know. Before (laughs) i you introduced me to Japanese food, then I'll taste a few things. Then I'll Mm -hmm. tell you what I like. If I've never had Japanese food, how would I know? So it's the same thing here. You don't know. He's your first. He's the one that you've been with all these years. There's lots of things that you don't know yet, what you like, that could even happen. And so watching, reading, listening, And then sharing your responses together gives you a whole menu, a smorgasbord. Got it. Rose, well, maybe
1: my only piece of advice. (laughs) I would be really gentle with him with his body issues. I'm sure you probably are. Mm -hmm. But all that stuff, it's hard for any person, I think, to be living in a critical framework of your own body you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
4: no yeah I think that's something I can also be better at I don't insult him or anything like that but I should I can be better at just kind of uplifting him or giving confidence or helping him with his insecurity definitely Mm -hmm, I didn't mm -hmm. even know it was an an issue until you know he did bring it up a few weeks ago
2: and what is the insecurity I mean,
4: I think it's, you know, again, knowing that he's not satisfying me, but I think it's also just like in terms of just shape, I think he's probably like we all did gained a little bit during the pandemic. And I think he's a little insecure about that. Mm -hmm. So it's that in combination with it, you know, again, him knowing that I'm not enjoying it as much as like he would be. So then he gets all in his head um, and that's, you know, a part of the issue.
2: You start by telling him the things that you thoroughly enjoy. It doesn't matter if he has five more pounds or 10 more Mm -hmm. pounds. If the way he kisses you pleases you, that doesn't make a difference. Mm -hmm. It's like the attraction is not just what I see. Mm -hmm. The attraction is also how you touch me, how you kiss me, how you hold me, how you lick me, how you stroke me, all of that. And that's where you give him the confidence.
4: Yeah, I can definitely be better with just being more complimentary or just reassuring. So that's definitely something we'll work on.
2: I want to to take the word reassuring out of it. Mm -hmm. see, that's the thing. It's like he thinks he's doing it wrong. Mm -hmm. And you're telling him, I don't like it. And much of the talk about sex is about what you don't like and what he can't do. Mm -hmm. That has got to be minimized for a moment so that you can talk about the rest of the sex. Mm -hmm. And that's what you enjoy, what you would like to explore further what you would like to discover about yourself. When you're young, you just started and you have enough of the security and the base of the relationship to now say, now let's go on an adventure. I love this.
1: And I love how your face lights up, Rose, when you speak about him. You know, Mm -hmm. like I'm so rooting for you guys. Thank you. And I think that this could be a really fun part of your relationship. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes.
4: I mean, we've been together for so long and, you know, I think things can get stale sometimes. So definitely taking on, no, I don't want to call it a challenge because that's probably the the wrong language, but.
2: An adventure. Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. And I feel like we always think we think we know everything about each other and this is just kind of a new chapter to discover things we don't know about each other yet.
2: And to see it as something positive, mm-hmm. to see it as it's a good curiosity. That's
4: a good point, yeah.
2: Now this is the next thing we're going to explore together. And that's the adventure. Mm-hmm. It's like we're going to discover who we are and also who we can be together. You're going to be proud <laughs> on your honeymoon. You're going to be like, yeah.
4: That's the goal. And yeah, I, that's also a good point, just to keep a positive mindset instead of thinking of it as a negative challenge. It's adventure and I'm excited to figure this out.
2: Yes. And by the way, this adventure and this exploration has no shelf life. It doesn't end at a certain age. Mm-hmm. It's a course of life. What one likes sexually, how one communicates sexually, what one likes to give and receive and experience and feel, it changes. Just so you know, this is not like you're going to find it out and this is it for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It changes as you grow and as you evolve and as you get older, etc. So the mindset I want you to enter is a mindset for life. It's not just for now. Constantly evolving, And you're not fixing a problem. You're not fixing a problem. Something has become a problem because there is not enough available around you that says when you have this issue, this is how you can go and do and find out what to do about it. And so then it becomes a problem. The penis cannot function properly, to please, the woman, and then she doesn't like it. And then she becomes to avoid it because she knows that this is what's coming. And mm-hmm. so then she doesn't want to do it, do it. You know, Mm -hmm. because it's not going to be pleasant. And then he feels frustrated because he can't please her and he doesn't know what to do. And now we have a problem. Mm -hmm.
1: And my one last piece of advice, Rose, would be to keep this intimate between you two. Yeah. Resist the temptation to talk about it with your girlfriends. Mm -hmm. It can be like an inside secret between the two of you that's just yours. And that will also bring you closer. Mm
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of the reason why I kind of wanted to come to you guys, just you have an outside perspective. You know, you don't know me or or my boyfriend, you know, going to my friends like I didn't feel really comfortable enough because they're close with both of us. So I just didn't feel comfortable diving deep with that.
1: So have fun on your adventure. Thank you. And I'm really honored. Thank you so much for writing to us. Thank you, Rose. Thank you very much.
4: Thank you so much for accepting my letter.
1: And you have no idea how much your letter will help our listeners as well.
4: It makes me feel comfortable knowing that everybody is, you know, totally not having issues, but you know, this could relate with somebody.
1: Thanks for being so open. And I'm, I'm also really happy for you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rose. It was so nice to meet you. You too. This has been such a huge honor for me and an education and an adventure.
2: You got to be in my office with me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I can't thank you enough, Esther.
2: Thank you, too. It's a pleasure.
1: Bye, Esther. Bye-bye.